Welcome to Rehydrate. This is a podcast about Liu Shishin's The Three-Body Problem and the entire Remembrance of Earth's Past series, and potentially the upcoming Netflix show. This is Season 1, Episode 7, Sunset for Humanity, covering chapters 21 through 26 of The Three-Body Problem. We're reading the entire series together in episode-sized chunks in preparation for the upcoming TV series, and we're currently reading The Three-Body Problem. And we're coming close to the end, I think. Each host has a different level of experience with the series. I'm Jim. I have read the entirety of The Three-Body Problem, but not the other two books. I'm Dan. I've read the entire series multiple times. I'm Tim. I've only read up to the current week's chapters. This is Amin. I, too, have only read up to the current week's chapters. And I also co-host the Rehydrate spoiler cast with Dan, who tells me everything that happens not only in this book, but the entire series. So if you've read the series and or you don't care about spoilers, you should check that out as well. Uh, I had one piece of follow-up from the last episode. I think we had some questions around if the organization is located only in China or it's actually worldwide. So I think there's some, some clarification in some of the chapters here. In chapter 21, there was a quote saying, and the rash of actions of the European detachment almost drew attention to us. And then also it says, you must already know that the governments of the world are preparing for war. In Europe and North America, they're already cracking down on the organization. So it seems like it is a worldwide organization. Yeah, they talk about a lot about Evans in these chapters, or a little bit. But yeah, I just wanted to follow up on that because I had assumed in my mind, in my recollection, that it was uh, worldwide. Uh, and yeah, these kind of confirm it. So let's just jump into the summaries for chapters 21 to 26, the three-body problem. So Wang Liao attends another three-body meetup where Pan Han is denounced and killed for the killing of Shen Yufei by the commander of the Earth Trisolaris organization, Ye Wenjie. Ye tells Wang at that Red Coast base she had secretly discovered a way to use the sun to amplify and broadcast the signal many times over. And eight years later, she received a reply from Trisolaris, but it's a warning. Do not answer. Do not answer. Do not answer. Yeah, already disillusioned with the human race after the events of the Cultural Revolution, her father getting killed, and an escalating Cold War, quickly sends a reply, inviting the sender to come to Earth, and she says she will help them conquer it. She tells Wong that he needs to stop his nanomaterial research in order to ensure that the Trisolarians can come to Earth to conquer it. Just then, Dasher leads the police and the army to take down the ETO. He quickly acts when a member says they have a nuclear bomb and shoots it, causing the conventional explosives to detonate but prevents the nuclear explosion. The police arrest the ETO members and interrogate Ye, where she reveals that she was the one that actually killed her husband and Commissar Lei at Red Coast Base. She had intended to only kill Lei after he discovered the message that the base had received from Trisolaris. She cut his rope that hit as he repels down the mountainside to fix a ground wire that she herself had sabotaged. Her husband Yang also shows up and repels down to help, and with no other opportunity, Ye cuts the rope, killing both of them. In the following year, she gives birth to Yang Dong and sees society move on from the events of the Cultural Revolution that killed her father, and ends with her unshakable ideal, to bring the superior civilization from elsewhere in the universe into the human world. So my first point of discussion is, one of the, the things I think is interesting about his writing style is that he kind of puts in sometimes like a little bit that this is more of a historical event. So the quote that I specifically pulled out was, no matter how historians and writers later try to portray the scene, the reality at the time 
it was completely prosaic. And this is when she was talking about how she was doing her experiments with the first transmission to the sun of the message. So I think he's trying to put out there that this is not only important to the story, but important historically. And this happens a couple more times in the, in the series. You know, big events happen, happen like that and like are talked about in historical context. So I just thought that was, a, was neat, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> There's also some big iconic events in, this, in these chapters to, for this episode. So given the context of the whole series, some really big events happen. And then I think really opens up the story. And this is getting to the ending two thirds of, of the book. So yeah, when she, yeah, being revealed as commander, I think is a really big event. And, and I'm imagining in the TV show, it'll be sort of the end of, a, of an episode where everyone's, you know, she kind of walks out. And then of course, the do not answer message coming from Trisolaris, like that's, that's also a, a big event and really revealing to what's happening in the story. It was a pretty uh, big surprise to me. I mean, I obviously assumed that Ye had, Ye had something to do with contacting aliens or so in the uh, prior Red Coast base. I kind of figured this story would kind of fold back to her at some point. I wasn't prepared to her to be essentially, to get into my like discussion point, be kind of like a comic book villain almost. <laughs> she, she ends up murdering two people, including her husband, because she's so disillusioned with, with humanity. Well, I mean, I guess this goes into my big question about the Trisolarans and, and uh, what they actually are. But to sort of just decide to yeah, orchestrate I'm... for that, you know, humanity to either be in, taken over or destroyed because things aren't good in your neck of the wood feels like a very comic book villain thing to me and we get a bit of insight into her character and that we're intended to have maybe some sort of sympathy for her but the fact that this seems like an, an enormous overreaction to her <laughs> i i think that hardships on one hand it is like a comic book villain sort of thing and in a way all of Shishin's characters seem to be conceived that way like in that big meeting that one guy just shouts out his origins he's like yeah. hey hey everybody okay so uh what happened was i grew up in uh, israel but at the same time i think that is a very human thing to have this intense overreaction we were just talking before we started the podcast about uh, sure. amin was mentioning that the shooting in evanston i'm sure that guy feels wronged in some way and his shooting isn't up to the measure of you know whatever wrong he did so I think a lot of people would push that button if given the chance. If they feel wronged in some way, that seems like a putting aside the alien stuff. It seems realistic. How do you guys imagine an alien would figure out this human message and then be able to write a reply in that language? Well, yeah, I, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's another one of my discussion points under the choice of lens. There is that. How, yeah, how do they? understand her message or vice versa you know and that obviously i guess leads to my other questions i don't know if at this point i even assume that they are an actual alien race at this point or that i'm supposed to i looked this up before the episode and so in chapter 13 when they kind of have the more technical readout and like they're talking about all the bases like directives so one of the points says development of the red coast self-interpreting code system Guiding principle, using universal basic mathematical and physical laws, construct an elemental linguistic code that could be understood by any civilization that has mastered algebra, Euclidean geometry, and the laws of classical mechanics, non-relativistic physics. And then later on, when she gets the message... Well, sure, I, I, but yeah, those are all, yeah, like, uh, those are all human... Those are all incredibly human, human. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, human but, inventions and expressions of the human way of understanding the universe, so it's... If these are just aliens who originated somewhere else, then it seems kind of silly, which leads to me to think that, is there something else going on here? Is we Yen a reliable narrator? And the other thing I was wondering was she didn't really 
validate that this was a real signal. It could have just been somebody trying to set her up or whatever, but she went through all the steps pretty quickly. So to me, again, if I wasn't already been spoiled to the whole thing, that would be one thing I would wonder about. Was that a real message from someone in outer space or was that someone on Earth trying to root out traders or whatever yeah i mean if i got that message there'd be like nine billion other questions i would answer you know like it'd be going through (laughs) my head before i would say oh aliens let's respond you know well there's also another uh, passage in chapter 23 where it says the (laughs) aaa basically the rating of the message is five a's uh it was a special extreme case it meant the received transmission used the exact same coding language as Red Coast's own outbound transmission. So someone, in order to fake the message, would have to both know the transmission cipher that they're using or, you know, the message system that they're using and want to fake that system. And, it, you know, presumably the antenna is sensitive enough where it knows that it's not just coming from local. It's not just ground noise, right? That's filtering out sure. the ground noise. And it's actually coming from outer space. So I, I guess, like, myself personally, I didn't really question, like, the origin of the message and, like, kind of trusted her understanding that this is a message from Trisolaris. And also, they talk about, after the warning of do not answer, they also talk about how she gets all the information about Trisolaris, all the stuff that's shown up in the game, about them dehydrating, all that kind of stuff. So she gets a lot more information about the civilization of Trisolaris. So that's why I guess I didn't question it as, like, a legitimate message or not. Yeah, I also remember reading it and thinking, okay, I, this is a legitimate message because this is what I felt the momentum of the story was taking it. But it was, it did jump out to me as we think of this as a, a fairly detailed, well thought out sci-fi story. But this was a moment that was a lot like Independence Day, where they uploaded the virus yeah. to the alien computer and it, it just, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> it just like took down the thing. For more interesting treatment of possible alien communication, I think there's a bunch of books, like among them, like Ted Chiang's The Story of Your Life has some pretty interesting stuff about what it would be like to try to communicate with aliens. It's part of a spoiler. It's like, you know, you'll never really fully understand what they're saying. Yeah, but- I guess why even at this point sort of question Yi Wenji is like a reliable narrator because we're getting this all filtered through her. You know, I would assume would understand the realities of how common an intelligence race or something out there in the universe might be that she gets a signal back from literally the next closest star saying, hey, we're here. I guess she didn't communicate any. She like, just leapt to like, oh my God, there's life everywhere. And there's no skepticism on her part about that. But I think she's also open to the idea of humanity being broken to the extent where like she's willing to even regardless of the warning that she gets to have them come here and take it over. So, Well, sure. She, but I mean, yeah. I mean I, again, just not even talking about that next step just the like like i said i would have like a million questions about like okay this is wait coming back wait from alpha centauri the next closest star you you mean to tell me that there's an intelligent technological civilization in the next closest star i guess this is happening in the 70s so maybe that's that's part of it you have a bit more incomplete picture of the scope of the universe you know, people had in the 70s versus today but uh also this isn't relevant to the plot at all but I felt bad for the guy who sent the do not answers message because <laughs> he sent this message and it happens to be picked up by the one person who wants to see Earth destroyed. <laughs> so he was trying to save a planet and yeah. said he inadvertently doomed a planet. I felt bad for him. He's, he's going to have some psychological guilt about that for a while. <laughs> yeah. Never try. That's a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Learn, learn that, Trisolarans. <laughs> I mean, I guess going back, operating off the assumption that 
okay, there is someone there. Again, given that we're the fact that we were able to communicate with them, then my brain is trying to think about where did they come from? The uh, unlikelihood of there being two civilizations in the, in the stars that are like the closest neighbors that can communicate with each other seems too, uh, too unlikely. I might have missed this. I understand why the nanotechnology work had to stop. It was to keep humans from becoming too technologically advanced to be able to fight off the Trisolarians. But did they specifically say what role his nanotechnology project yes. played in the that? S- the space elevator. That yeah. The, oh, the that's key right. to building a yeah. space elevator. Yeah, that was a little flimsy. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's probably why I forgot. <laughs> I, I, I happen to have watched a documentary about attempts to make a space elevator. And that was like a thing that back in like the 60s and 70s, people were like, yeah, we'll just make it and it'll be great. We'll just go up to space without having to use these big rockets and stuff like that. Most of the uh-huh. energy consumed in traveling into space is escaping Earth's gravity, so... Right. It basically uses centrifugal force, and you just have this big cable that comes out from the Earth, and once you get it into space, now this is a big trick, once you get into space, it stays up in space. So you have a big cable that is, via centrifugal force, is just extended from the Earth as the Earth spins around, it just whips out there. And then they looked at it at this in 1975, and they found out that any available material to actually get this out would be too heavy to collapse. So they thought this would be a great idea, but they didn't have any material, right? And this is where the whole materials, nanomaterial kind of thing comes in, would be too heavy. And then in the 90s, they came up with carbon nanotubes, and then everybody had this great hope because carbon nanotubes are 40 times stronger than steel. So right now, there's like a space elevator community (laughs) that are slightly fringe, and that's what they believe that could work. And they there have been all these startups that have like started and failed because, you know, they tried for 10 years to make a space elevator and didn't work. And mostly they focus on the thing that would go up the cable. And that's apparently pretty easy, you know, relatively in the space of high tech problems. In 2014, there's like some company funded by Google that tried to design a space elevator. And then they just stopped because they found out that no one had manufactured a carbon nanotube strand that was longer than one meter. I don't know if that's really that urgent an issue for, what are they called? The ETO? ETO. ETO. They probably have a couple hundred years. (laughs) (laughs) They don't really need to to get Wong there (laughs) involved. I guess in in this world... uh, Maybe we're close to a space elevator, and the space elevator is like a critical defense. It still seems flimsy. <laughs> I mean, but I think is not the only one who's also being impacted, right? Like, there's other scientists, like, all the frontiers of science stuff possibly is related. Like, there might be other things, and like, he might just be one of many um, who yeah. are impacted by this. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to tell Ye Wenjie how to run her organization, but <laughs> there's a little bit of a lack of focus there. It's trying to go for too many things at the same time. But yeah, I, I mean, that's how real organizations are. So there you go. I couldn't tell whether this was like based in anything real or not, but her whole son as like a signal amplifier thing it is neat narratively, but uh, I have no idea if that's like the way the book described it is a little lost on me. Yeah, I actually I, looked this up ahead of the episode as well. You know, obviously there's creative license there, but there are papers out there that talk about that. There's one specifically called 
direct amplification of electromagnetic wave by beam plasma instability and its application to solar type 3 bursts. And one of the authors is actually cool. named Ding Yi, <laughs> uh, which is interesting. This is one of those leaps that sci-fi books often do. It's more concerning of itself about what are the implications of what we could do with it rather than answering whether this is actually, at least at this point in our technology, feasible. You know, I think that Liu Shishin probably thought of this, but so let's say you accept the thing about the space mirror. The chances of you hitting the sun at a particular angle that it reflects off the sun and then hits Trisolaris, which... Uh, you know, it's pretty far away. It's kind of low. <laughs> I, I guess the one well, mitigating thing is maybe they're so advanced that they have a lot of satellites listening for stuff. But still, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't really like question that that much. I mean, when it went even with just traditional space travel as we know once you're in space you can calculate as long as your math is right you can kind of assume things could potentially work out i know that didn't seem that far-fetched to me i think he meant it as a stroke of luck kind of thing but she doesn't know where trisolaris is right so when you decide where in the sun to aim your signal you don't know where it's going to end up even if you know how to do the math correctly did she even yeah, aim it though? Like it seemed. Like I don't think she mag- aimed it. I think yeah, she's it, like, "This is my chance." So yeah, it like magnified the results by like what a million times or whatever they said. It was like by a lot. So I think yeah, she happened to get quote unquote lucky. Did it, <laughs> did, it actually... off, did it bounce off the sun with a wider aperture on? Yeah, no, I I thought that was that's pretty cool though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, as far as yeah, uh, like, yeah, it, yeah, it sounded convincing. Did you imagine everybody in that one big meeting wearing robes? I did. Because <laughs> that no. seems like a robe kind of meeting. <laughs> I, I imagine there was some subtle lapel pin that they all wore to, yeah. Yeah. to indicate they're all, you know, like secret handshake or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, like the, the stone basins or something. Or the yeah, yeah exactly. Secret meetings just, you know, cannot escape being hilarious at this point. <laughs> Did the split yeah. of the Adventist versus the Redemptionist kind of register to you guys? Because I think the first yeah. time I read it, I didn't get it. I think it took a little bit of extra rereading and kind of analysis of what's actually happening. Like, I guess, did that make an impact on you guys? I think it's an important part of the story. I think they get to it too late. Like, they kind of mention it in passing earlier in the book. But then this time, like, they kind of like just really dump it on you. Well, could you, for the listeners, sure. let me, like, quickly <laughs> describe that? <laughs> You know, you know, refresh our listeners on the ideological split between them. Yeah, so there's two factions that show up in this chapter. Uh, I forget which chapter it is, but during the meeting. So Panhand is an Adventist. And so Adventists are people who think that the Trisolarians could come here and just destroy the entire human race because it's irredeemable. And then the Redemptionists are working with the Trisolarians to help them come here, but also help them fix their problem. They're the ones trying to solve the three-body problem, so... Right. You know, they'll kind of ingratiate themselves to the Trisolarians. So when they come here, they'll kind of work with our civilization and reform it rather than destroy it. That's kind of the main conceit. And so the Adventists, they murder, or they, Pan Han goes to murder uh, Wei Chung because he has a possible solution to the three-body problem. And the Adventists think that if they solve the three-body problem, then they won't come here and destroy the Earth. So that's why they reference Comrade Evans, to who had asked... Panhand to go murder uh, Wei Chung, and then Shen Yufei gets in the way, and he says he's in defense, but who knows? I thought the actual thing was that Shen Yufei was also an Adventist, but she is sort of turning and felt like she could solve, or through that guy she has in her house. 
solve the three-body problem, and then just hand that to the Trisalorans, and then they won't have to come here. So that was her betrayal of the Adventists. She wasn't really redemptionist. That's how I read it, yeah. Yeah, I think like they all kind of stemmed from Adventists, and then that when yeah when Gia talks about it, because Panic goes, "You're an Adventist, right?" And then she kind of turns his philosophy on him, like, "And actually, no, actually, we're all redemptionists here." <laughs> and then that's why one of the reasons she has him killed. Well, I, I also remember the first time I read this, also not expecting, "Oh, we have some nuclear bombs." <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember that, that as well. Like reading that, whoa, I don't have a bomb again. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was that was my other question about this thing so if they have again not to tell her how to run her organization but if they have a <laughs> nuclear bomb they could probably start a nuclear winter by planting bombs around and accusing other countries of of starting this because i assume some remnants of the cold war are still around in this world so i was like oh if they have nuclear weapons they can kind of do a lot of damage to humanity on their own they don't necessarily need the trisolarans to Th- that's to an incredibly good point once you turn adventist and you decide we just need to destroy the human race you don't need to wait hundreds of years for this stuff to work out well, um, they all recognize that they're not going to be around for the trisolarans eventually getting here they're kind of preparing the way for them to do that and then like the main purpose of them is not to just cause chaos and destroy the human race but to actually stop progress of science you know like the nanomaterial research to allow the trisolarans to come here because the progress of science in the human race is exponentially higher in the coming years it's really progressed like since the 1700s versus now where we're at is really high so if we keep progressing to that level then by the time the trisolarans get here because of just the distance then We'll be able to have defenses. That's why they need to get rid of the nanomaterial research and all that kind of stuff. But but, would, well, but wouldn't, you can just blow everybody up. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't a global wouldn't a global nuclear war set a lot of research back? Yeah, but it, it won't kill everybody, right? I, you, you I feel know, like though humanity they, can still come back from it. it. It does seem like they want to serve Earth up on a silver and don't want to like glass the planet before they you know they want it to be a nice. You yeah, know, they want it to be habitable planet for, for the for their lord. For their, yeah, for yeah. their lord. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe. I guess that's a that's a strange motivation. It, well, yeah, and, it's, they're all very strange. Yeah, I mean, they're all yeah, it's like, a true bizarre it's true. bizarre people who you know I guess are arrogant enough to believe that they well I guess until the Trisolarans, despite having no comparative intelligent race to gauge humanity's goodness against, still feel like they can make the decision to destroy the human race based on it's because it's bad in their neck of the woods. Well, and that's it's why not- they have the that's why they have the three body game is to kind of determine people who would be more open to this idea like it's a recruiting tool like that's this whole purpose just to refine people who would be amenable to the trislerans coming here and taking over and then yeah i've I've recently read these chinwe achebe books about the people that lived in what's now nigeria and the books take place at a time before christianity shows up and christianity shows up during those books and they have to deal with that but the way they practice their religion is they reenact things that the gods have done. And then this builds sympathy for the religion. They feel like they're really part of it because they're acting out the role of the gods. And that's what they do in the three-body problem video game. It's just like, you are a Trislaren, basically. And you are uh, performing great deeds and you see how hard it is. And therefore, you develop a commitment to them. Oh, I sometimes wonder if you and she and the leaders of the ETO tour talk a lot about the Lord and all that. Like, are they correctly interpreting whatever combined communication they have or whatever messages they're getting from the Lord, like to their own end? 
Yeah, just like, hey, we're demonstrating our power yeah, by... Yeah. That's an interesting question. Are they reading it straight from the communications? Or are they making it up? And then there's another level of this. Yeah. Is the person working the signals on Tri-Solaris playing it straight? Or even working with other people? Or is he the lord, basically, of his mom's basement? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and no other Tri-Solarians really care about any of this <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely could be interpreted differently. We don't know if they gave them the entire information dump, because they said they sent a bunch of information about the society, but that information might not have made it out to the rest of the ETO members, and they might only be being told what Evans and Yeo and Jay want them to know, right? It's definitely possible. One thing I, I found also interesting from these chapters is that I think Yao Wen Jie's character is the most fully formed of anyone in this book. Definitely, like Wang Miao is like the main character, but Yao Wen Jie actually has the most background information. You know most about her motivations. And I would actually argue that she's the most fully fleshed out character of the whole series. Like there's other characters who have backstories and that kind of thing, but we really delve into her history here. And I think it really helps kind of set the scene of like why she does this. It is a leap that she'll just doom the entire the entire humanity based off of some personal tragedy in her her history. But I think, especially in the last chapter, like where she she goes to the village, and I think she kind of comes around and like maybe starts regretting her actions a little bit because the village is so nice to her; they take care of her. But then she goes visits her mother and sees how she's really hypocritical and cowardly, right? And then she starts seeing like the. The cultural revolution starting to fade into into history, and then she meets with the the people who killed her father, and then she, you know, she makes up her mind and realizes that like, oh, it it wasn't a mistake. Humanity is just entirely broken. You know, I mean, at this point, I say, again, I still think of her as kind of the villain of the you know series so far, but it, it's a little like the Dark Knight, where Batman is just kind of this kind of one nut guy, and then the Joker is really rich character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we just don't have like a whole lot of, you know, we get a lot of sort of Ye's inner monologue a bit, but we get like sort of nothing of Wang's or like how he's like processing all of this or again, where his actual allegiances or sympathies will shake out. We do finally see some action from Dashur though, like taking down oh, the yeah. ETO members. <laughs> I, I know Amin was disappointed with Dashur up until now. <laughs> Did this uh, kind of turn your opinion around at all? A little bit. At least his character had a little bit more purpose. I forget, was he the one that shot the the nuke or Yeah, yeah. Okay. I hope he did like a cool like action roll before that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because up until now he's mostly been just the cop guy, you know, like straight talking to all the upper level generals and that kind of stuff. But now he's actually like leading and doing stuff and kind of saving the day from them potentially blowing up a nuke, right? So a question for Tim and Amin. Probably more Tim, since I mean, kind of knows what's happening. But like, <laughs> what are the things that are still kind of outstanding mysteries for you that you want to see solved before the end of the book? What are the big questions that you have? And then ne- next week is our season finale, so you know we can kind of follow up on those. But yeah. I'm interested to think about you know what's kind of gnawing at you of like why is this thing happening? Like, what are the big things? So I already know what happened. So for me, it's more about how they're going to tie up some of these things. Like earlier in the book. There was the whole countdown that he would see in photographs. I want to see how they explain that and what that means for other things as well. So for me, it's more about how well are all these things going to be tied up because both Jim and Dan have said repeatedly that these books actually wrap up well. So I'm interested to see how they do that. Yeah, I just want to see if the things as presented by Yeo and Jay are actually true. 
that there is this alien race and they are coming here and what she has said about their civilization and all that is borne out or whether this is just some bizarre fake out or weird invention by this nutty <laughs> consortium here. Do you guys think that all of this, I'll say more technical content and especially things that are done electronically like the way that she sent the return message back to Trisolarin, do you think that is going to be easy to show in a visual medium or do you think there's going to be some other trickery that needs to happen to convey that to an audience? I would guess that they would just go with either, you know, some kind of David Fincher kind of thing where they show someone typing and they superimpose an overlay or something like that. Or that you don't even have to show that. What was that movie? Clear and Present Danger where there was this really tense scene where like these two agents were typing fiercely to get a message out first and like i think that worked i mean it was funny like me and dan make fun of that a lot but i was gonna say like i think the books are really enhanced by all the scientific content that's what we signed up for right that was one of the sounding points of it so i'm interested to see like how how much they dumb it down for tv offices because people aren't going to be there for all the detailed explanations of how she actually bounces the signal off the sun and, and that kind of thing. I mean, we talked about it before with the, with the computer thing last time, but I think now even more, like it gets more and more into the technical aspects. And it's not a spoiler to say like it gets even more scientific in the last chapters. There's a lot of science that's kind of dumped on you and it's a little bit of hand wavy stuff, but it still gets really, really complicated. And like, that's going to be the hardest thing I think to kind of convey to TV watching audiences is what's the balance of storytelling versus scientific content. This is all really based in, I think, or to me, like my assumption is that it's based on real physics, but I think they're going to kind of hand wave over it, maybe. I don't know. I think it'd be interesting if they're obviously not going to do this because not many people would watch, but if they sort of inverted the proportion of drama to explanation here, it's kind of hard to say exactly what it, it would be like, but the main focus in, you know, intense TV series and things like that are, is the drama. And again, like you said, hand wave through any techno babble or anything like that. I think setting expectations, I mean, this is a really broad thing to say that is hard to implement, but setting expectations differently, I think would help in a show like this, where you're just going to just like say, hey, this isn't going to be like wall to wall hanging off the edge of a building while somebody's trying to stop on some finger stuff. You know, there's been like movies and TV shows that have been a little drier as far as like sci-fi, you know, and like done a good balance of, I don't know, I guess I'm thinking of like Alex Garland, for example, who kind of wrote Sunshine and Ex Machina. I kind of see a tone similar to that. Amin and I also talked about on the spoiler cast a couple weeks ago about all the scientific explanation that happened in like Interstellar, where they talk about complicated scientific explanations of like how black holes work and how gravity affects time and that kind of things. And I think they did it well. You know, people mm. understood mostly. I mean... And it also, I think people got interested in like Black Hole after that. <laughs> uh, I think that was done really well. But that's also a movie with a big budget behind it. And it didn't have as many, as many concepts. It only had a couple um, where this is like, they have a whole bunch of different disciplines in the series. I don't know. I think that might be also another model that they could follow of balancing the science versus the drama. Thanks for listening. Leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter, at RehydratePod. Please join us next time for the season finale. Episode 8, Bugs, where we will be reading chapters 27 
through 35 of the three-body problem. And perhaps it will be revealed that the Trisolarans are actually really tiny and are no threat to humanity at all. All right. <laughs>